0: Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So please settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. All right. So what do I, what I wanted to uh, discuss with us tonight? What I've noticed is it, it, that I've been traveling a, a little bit and I've I've come in contact with a lot of people a, around the nation and. And uh, I'm getting a, a sense of something um, that's building up in the United States. And uh, I wanted to kind of share this with you because some of the people that I'm running into, Christians or conservatives or wherever around the nation, are about this close to being pushed over the edge, okay? And no joke, man. Um, and I'm talking like they're willing to take thing, matters into their hands and physically do something, okay? There is an, a, a, a righteous anger that's out there, and I get it. I have it. You have it. We see the way the world's becoming, and you see that, that evil just continues to get away with what they're doing. Um, but I, I, I'm noticing that, the, the the evil people in our society keep pushing us to the edge and they keep taking more and they te- keep taking more and they keep taking more and i i always talk about the bubba factor coming in play and the bubba factor is someone's going to take just just had enough of it and they're going to do something about it okay and people are going to get hurt i'm not advocating that i'm not advocating that but i'm just i'm i'm telling you what i'm seeing on the ground now, again, I'm talking about Americana. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about Christianity right now. I'm just talking about where our country's at and what I'm noticing, okay? And you can only push people so far before they're going to react. So that being the case, you and me as a Christian have to have our heads on straight, okay? And we're going to have a lot of things thrown our way, and we're going to really have to keep on track with what we're doing And not lose our heads. And that's why I've entitled this. And what I want to look at for us and our own edification to prepare um, is how, how Elijah dealt with Jezebel. Okay? I want to take you through this, but I want to apply it to us. Because, man, what you're going to see there is Elijah lost his head. And he, like, in the face of evil... And his reaction shows he was not prepared spiritually for what happened to him. And I, we, that's, we, we cannot be in that kind of situation where we don't know how to react. Because if you do not know how to react, your what you have in the back of your brain, what you have there, will automatically come out. Okay? And if that automatic is wrong, you're either going to fight, you're going to flight, you're going to freeze, but you won't do the right thing in the right moment. And look, nobody knows a lot of times being put in a pressure situation, how they're going to react. But you actually, from what I've studied, can train your brain enough to react to a situation to where it becomes automatic. And and I think that's where we're going to have to go with this. And so I want to take you through this a little bit with Elijah. It's a famous story, but I want to dig on it. I want to drill on it a little bit. So let's do the setting real quick. The situation comes after one of the greatest displays of God's power happened on Mount Carmel. And this is Elijah with the prophets of Baal. And there's a whole three-day contest of who, who is the one true God, right? Is Baal God or is Yahweh God? And then they, they did the whole sacrificial thing of call down their gods and bring fire and, and eat up the sacrifice and consume the sacrifice. Well, obviously, the 400 prophets of Baal couldn't do anything. So Elijah's turn, he puts water on it three different times and, and soaks the whole thing. And then, of course, fire comes down from heaven, and consumes the offering, and Yahweh proves that he's the one true God. And then Elijah goes, and he kills, personally, 400 prophets of Baal. He slaughters them on his own on Mount Carmel. It's a huge, huge spiritual victory. It's one of the greatest demonstrations of power of God, of showing that God is the one true God. And quite frankly, there must have been some type of supernatural enablement for Elijah to be able to kill 400 prophets. There was something going on there, okay? But he kills them all. So it's a big high moment, okay? Big high moment. And, and uh, you, you go there to, go to today, and you can go to Mount Carmel, and you can see the exact location where this happened. Okay, so here's what happens. You have this big moment, big spiritual victory, and then this happens. And Ahab, that's the king, okay, told Jezebel, that's the queen. Jezebel is a foreigner who has become a, a queen in Israel, and she has introduced uh, false idols and false worship into Israel for the very first time in Israel's history. Okay, And she's turning the whole country of Israel towards wokeism or paganism or whatever you want to call it. She's taken the country away from its historical roots to worshiping these new gods. Okay? So they're putting up the Asherah poles and everything. Okay? So Israel is going into a spiritual declension because of her. So understand that leadership can take you to places you don't want to go. Look at our leadership and where we're going with things in a spiritual way. Okay? It's hurting America. So anyway, she's the Jezebel. She's the one. Now, you, uh, with the, the, in, a, in the, f- the relationship, King Ahab is a weak man, and he's married to this woman, Jezebel, and she's stronger than goat's breath, man. I mean, she is large and in charge. Uh, he's a pushover, and she's really the power behind the throne. Okay, It's kind of like Jill with Biden. You know, she has to tell him what to do and say, wave now and open one eye because one eye you're speaking and one's closed. So she's behind all that, but she's very, very evil. Okay, so Ahab told Jezebel that uh, that Elijah had done also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Okay, so they get word back. So here's what Jezebel does. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So basically, she sends a messenger with a message telling Elijah, I'm coming after you, and I'm going to kill you like you killed my prophets. I'm going to kill you. So she puts him on notice, okay? Now, she sends a message. This is important. She sends a message to him. So it's the message. She doesn't send a garrison. She doesn't send troops. She sends a message to him. Okay? So how does he react? Well, he doesn't react very well. Okay? One of the things that Elijah will, 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 will react with is he's extremely naive about her or about evil. Okay? Okay? And here's what you'll see in Eliza's reaction later on in the text is that he can't understand why this is even happening. There was just this, this massive display of God's power. Foreign prophets are, 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 are gone. And he thinks naively that the issue is solved in Israel. But it's not. Because he doesn't realize the nature of of evil so one of the things you have to understand about evil is even if you have a victory over evil in your life the next day you're gonna face evil again because it doesn't take a nap it doesn't take a a, a, a vacation and it will not admit defeat evil just keeps coming back every day and that's what he, he's underestimating. He thinks that this one-time shot of this whole display of God should finalize everything, and this should scare Ahab and Jezebel to death, that they would, they would back off and not do anything else. Yeah, right. You think George Soros ever is scared of, of, of Christians or any display of power? No, George Soros will keep going on. Bill Gates will keep going on. All of them will keep going on. They don't stop because evil doesn't admit defeat. Evil keeps coming back and evil will try to win at all costs and will cheat to do it. So Elijah is dumbfounded by this. What? I figured they would, this would have scared them and they're not afraid. They're coming right back after him saying, now we're going to kill you. Okay, so what does he do? Unfortunately, he reacts according to what's in him. Not by faith, but what his natural reaction is, and it's wrong. So, And when he saw that, he got the message, he arose and ran for his life. Now wait a second, Elijah. You just killed 400 guys. The power of God, what are you doing? Why are you running? What's going on here? His reaction is not right. Something's not right. And that's where he is losing his perspective. He has lost his mind in understanding the whole dilemma here. His emotions are taking over now, and he's not thinking straight. And that's what we're trying to talk about. We can't let our emotions take us to places you don't wanna go. You will do stupid things. We have to have a straight mind about how we're dealing with evil. Okay, so what's going on here a little bit? Elijah didn't assess the threat properly with truth. It is a threat, but what did I say? She sent a message to him, like a letter, and somebody delivered the letter, and he read it. Now, he's not assessing the threat properly. What's going on here? Jezebel, if she wanted to kill him, would have already done so. She would have already sent troops to kill him. And that could have easily been done. But she doesn't. She sends a message. And why would she send a message instead of sending a garrison to kill him? She's not wanting to kill him because partly she's afraid because he just killed 400. So she only wants him to be removed from the country and not become a martyr because he could become more dangerous as a martyr or he could call on God and kill them too. So all she does is a propaganda letter to scare him to leave the country. She doesn't want to kill him. She's partly afraid of him, and she doesn't want to make a martyr out of him. Okay? She could have killed him. Why doesn't Elijah know that? Why is he not seeing that? If she wanted to kill me, she'd kill me. You know, these idiots on the Internet, I'll give you an example. These idiots on the Internet, they do uh, death threats all the time to people, right? Right? They do death threats. If they really wanted to kill somebody, that's not how you do it. You just send hit men and you kill them. You're no warning, right? If you really wanted to kill, if someone really wanted to kill somebody, you don't send them an Instagram, right? You don't send them a Facebook warning. You would just go and kill them, Right? So what you see is it's propaganda. It's, it's to get you to be afraid because I, I, I don't really want to kill you, but I want you to f- be afraid and remove yourself. And why does she want him removed? If she can remove him and not make him out of a martyr, then his removal will actually cause spiritual declension in Israel, and she will finally get rid of all Yahweh worship in the nation of Israel if she can get rid of him. That's what she wants. So that's what you have to understand about evil. Evil, if it wants to do something to you, will do it. But if it's playing a game with you, will give a verbal threat. And verbal threats are trying to get you out of the situation so that you don't bother them anymore. Okay? So his reaction is not understanding this. So he fails to understand also another principle, that behind believers' greatest victories are followed by emotional and spiritual letdowns. Did you know that? You have to understand this. You're gonna have victory, and it's gonna be be on top of the world because you had this wonderful experience and you did this, and you did that, and God empowered you, and, and you saw results, and it was amazing, right? The next day, you'll go into depression. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to explain it, but you do. And even on a week-to-week basis, I notice this on Mondays with me, then I'm semi-depressed. And I, don't, I, don't, I can't explain it, but I go into semi-depression on Mondays, and it takes me about till the end of Tuesday to get out of it after a Sunday morning. Because the whole week I'm doing things and I'm gearing up and then everything's geared up for Sunday, I do my Wednesday night, we do this night and then we gear up for Sunday and Sunday ends up being the climax. But after that, even though it's not, to me it's not a, you know, an Elijah experience, but every Monday I go into semi-depression. I come out of it, no big deal. I come out of it by the end of Tuesday, but why? It's normal, it's actually a normal practice that when you have these spiritual high moments, you will go in to a low moment right afterwards. And I don't, I, don't, I, I, I don't have an explanation for it, but it happens all the time to people and it happens to the biblical characters. I don't know what it is. its It's being on that top of the mountain and now you're, you're in the valley the next day. And you have to deal with that, right? So if you know that, and I'm telling you that, you must expect that. So you think you 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 know you, you can't ride these emotional highs all the time. What you what you have to understand is you have to be more even killed in your thinking, like, okay, man, I, 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 I taught a good lesson, or I led this guy to the Lord, I was able to share Christ with this person. It's a high moment. But keep yourself at an even keel so that you don't dip down. He dipped down so far, he lost perspective. He really did. He, almost, he sunk into depression like right away after Mount Carmel. Now, if it can happen to Elijah, it's going to happen to us. So keep keeping that in mind. Another thing, Elijah failed to take seriously the temptation of spiritual, cultural, and familial disengagement. Now, what do I mean by that? You're going to see this in just a bit. His idea to, get, uh, to, to, to avoid the evil and not have to deal with it is to disengage. Okay? I'm just going to check out. And he checked out. He literally checked out. And it's like, Elijah, no, no, this is your fight. This is your call. But when you go into this deep depression, the first thing you feel like is saying, I don't want to, I don't want to be part of this anymore and you disengage. Now, you disengage. there's different things to, how you disengage. You can disengage spiritually. Like, you don't even wanna be around other believers, okay? You don't even wanna be around church because you don't even wanna read your Bible because to read your Bible is to remind you of the spiritual battle that you're in. Does that make sense? And it's like, man, I do not wanna read it because it reminds me of where I'm at. He, that's where he's at. He totally divorced at this point from God's spirituality. The second thing is cultural. And I talk about this. When people want to check out from the spiritual battle, they disengage with the culture. They check out. So like if you ask them, hey, did you hear today? Another train went off the tracks today. Did you hear that? What's going on? something's fishy but you know what you ask them that have disengaged from the culture did you know that they'll say, then they'll say no man i um i went to target and and then i went over to here and i got gas and i came home and and uh i watched lebron james or i watched uh, shaquille o'neal or whoever or whatever uh, whoever's playing or whatever and i watched uh they're checked out And what the person's telling you is they have personally disengaged from the culture and anything that's going on in the culture, okay? It's a dangerous place to be to disengage, I'm telling you. And then even worse is when they check out from their own family. They're there physically, but they're checked out with their wife. They're checked out with their kids. They're, They're out of it. Do you know the number one thing women complain about their husbands about? It's this, my husband is checked out. What do you mean? Well, he comes home and, 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 and all he does is sit in front of the TV, eat, and he never talks to anybody. He doesn't talk to the kids. He doesn't talk to me. And then he falls asleep in the chair and he comes to bed at, at three in the morning. And that's how he lives every day. So we don't have any interaction with this guy. He's just like, He brings home money, that's all this guy does. But he's not engaged with the family. I'm telling you, man, as a man, especially in this time, you cannot disengage. Not only from your family, but culture, or from the Bible, or from scriptures, or spiritual. You disengage, you're gonna get in dangerous territory and you will lose perspective real quick. That's the, the, the scary part. People think they're protecting themselves by not knowing what's going on. Ignorance is bliss. No, it's not. It'll actually end up biting you in the end if you do that. So again, this is what Elijah's doing. He's disengaging. Let's keep following me. I was, I've been studying a little bit about uh, Theodore Herzl. And he was, uh, he's the... Basically, the modern-day Zionist movement started with him. And what was happening in the late 1800s, just to give you some background about this, it was happening in the late 1800s, and especially this, them, them seeing what was going on in France. Um, and uh, a lot of anti-Semitism was popping up in France. Um, the um, Gosh, I'm going blank on that. Dreyfus, Dreyfus thank you. The Dreyfus account... Um, where they blamed this Jewish guy for leaking documents to the, 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 the Germans, and he didn't, but they blamed him and scapegoated him, and then the whole country went anti-Semitic. Well, it, it, it didn't go anti-Semitic. It just revealed that the anti-Semitism was already in the country. And you had so they, we call that the Dreyfus Affair. And then you had all kinds of other anti-Semitic things pop, popping up. You had the, the, the Protocols of Zion pop up that was, was escor- uh, you know blaming the Jews for having this world cabal and all this other stuff. So so, Theod- so what the Jews back then were doing, this is interesting, follow me on this. The Jews back then had made a decision in order to survive in the nations that you got to do one of two things. Now, these are wrong, but this is what they decided. We either are going to become ultra-nationalistic, and forget our Jewish roots and just, if we're French, we're going to become French and, and not be Jewish. Or we're going to go, go and join international causes like communism and socialism and Marxism and be part of the internationalism in countries. Okay, so both options were, were dumb. Okay, because it, it, it was impossible for them to homogenize with French or German or whatever. Okay, so Theodore Herzl comes up with the modern-day movement, and he says this. This is a quote from him, 1896. The nations in whose midst Jews live are all either covertly or openly anti-Semitic. Their unconscious anti-Semitism is an active force even where it is hidden. I believe that I understand anti-Semitism, which is really a highly complex movement. I consider it from a Jewish standpoint, Yet without fear or hatred, I believe that I can see what elements uh, there are in it of vulgar sport, of common trade jealousy, of inherited prejudice, of religious intolerance, and also of pretended self-defense. And what he told the Jews back in the 1890s is, we got to go home because they're going to kill us. He was warning them that he could see an impending holocaust And he says the only thing that's going to save us is go back home. Well, guess what? Because the majority of the Jewish populations in Europe were disengaged with seeing the anti Semitism, as Theodore Herzl pointed out, guess where it led them? To the gas chambers because they were checked out, they weren't listening to Theodore Herzl or any of the Jewish leaders saying, they're gonna kill us. They're gonna take us all down. We see a Holocaust coming and no one would listen. And they just acted because they were disengaged as if nothing was happening. And lo and behold, you know the Holocaust came. But why? the disengagement of the Jewish population with the culture. It got them in trouble. I'm telling you, this is a big deal. You must not disengage. You have to understand what the culture's doing. That's why on Wednesday nights, why I'm telling you this. My, I'm, not, I'm not telling you all these things, even on a Sunday morning, guys. I'm not telling you just to make you upset or to curse darkness that's not what my intent is. My intent is, I want you to engage with the culture and show you what the heck's going on. Where is the culture at? You need to understand this because it will hurt you if you don't. Anyway, look what he does. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. You you think, what's the big deal about that? I can tell you what the big deal about that is. It's this. In Judah, so he goes south from the Jezreel Valley, he goes down south, he's trying to get as far away from the northern kingdom of Ahab and Jezebel as he can. So he goes into Judah. Well, guess what's who's in Judah? Jehoram, uh, Jehoram, the king of Judah, who's a wicked guy, and he's married to Ahab's daughter, Athaliah who is as wicked as all get out. Athaliah will eventually try to wipe out all of David's descendants from even trying to take the throne again. She's as wicked as Jezebel. Now, here you go. I'm going to run from the threat, and I'm going to run right into the arms of more evil. Elijah, what are you doing? Here's an interesting thing, guys. We got a lot of people moving from Bakersfield and and leaving Bakersfield. I get it. I totally understand it. If God directs you. If you're leaving Bakersfield because of fear of a Jezebel, you're going to make a wrong move. Because what he did is he actually moved into a worse situation, and he got himself stuck in a worse situation. You understand? We have, we have we have somebody this this week. This is one of many people that have moved here. I think Steve. Where Steve? Where are you at, Steve? There you are. You moved from a Modesto to come here. Exactly. Right. Yes. We just had another guy move from San Francisco this week to go to church here. Now here's the curious thing we got people moving here to come to church, but we have people leaving at the same time. Now, again, it's got to be God-directed, but I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to warn anybody that's thinking about leaving. You better make sure that God has told you to leave. Because if you don't, you'll end up like in the situation with here. I'm going to get as far away from California and the evil that's here. And then you're going to go, well, I'm going to go to Kentucky. Hey, I was just there. Kentucky's just the same. I'm sorry. It's just the same. You, oh, I want to get away from the LGBT. We were in Kentucky, and what did we see? They had LGBT all over the place. And the, the pastor was fighting the LGBT, putting up all these flags around the town. Oh, oh I thought there was a safe... There's no safe places unless God leads you to them. I'm just telling you, be careful about this, because I'm seeing the same phenomenon. People are afraid. You cannot be motivated by fear. The fear of man will cause us to run to places to bring you more threats. I've talked to people that have moved and they're in worse condition now than they were here in California. Remember this guy? What happened when he ran? Well, he ended up in a worse situation, didn't he? right? He actually died and drowned and then um here's an interesting side note you ready to see the side note okay it has nothing to do with what i'm talking about but just since i'm bringing up jonah i want to show this to you this is interesting they always say jonah was swallowed by a whale you ever heard that it's not a whale we actually know what kind of animal it was you know why because the septuagint translated the hebrew and when they translated the hebrew into greek they gave us the name of the animal which we know Da- dagadol is great fish. It doesn't mean whale. And translates into the uh, Greek as the kiti megalo, meaning mega-sized ketos. Not keto diet, okay? okay, But they're, they're, um, the ketos is the name of a sea serpent that was in the sea, that existed. And this sea serpent, as you can see, on Greek pottery, on mosaic frescoes, and other pictures that this was a ketos, was a dog-headed sea dragon, and it appears in accounts from 700 BC all the way up to 8500 of sailors seeing this type of sea monster. But what it's called, it's called the ketos. So Jonah, so he, this is interesting, was not swallowed by a whale. He was actually swallowed by that creature called a ketos, a serpent sea monster. And you can see the, look, what it kind of looks like that has a dog head looking thing that swallowed him. That's what Jonah was swallowed by, not a whale, but a ketos. Anyway, that's a side note. Got to go back. Anyway, he, and he says he left his servant there. So, so he has a servant with him, and he says, "Now you stay here. I'm going to go on." Well what's that about? Again, Elijah fails to understand the importance of others when it comes to keeping perspective. You need other guys speaking into your life so you don't lose your mind, because all this junk is going to be thrown at you, and you're, starting, "Here's what's happened. You're going to start getting confused. What do I do? What do I do?" You've got to have other guys. You can bounce this off. you got to say, man, am I crazy? Am I seeing this? You've got to be able to talk to people. You can't just sit there and stew in your own juices by yourself watching YouTube all day and getting jacked up. You do that, I can tell you what happens to you. You start getting paranoid because I have to deal with guys who do that all day. And they, they want to stay informed, but what ends up happening, because they're not around other people, they get paranoia. And they start getting into weird conspiracy theories and all kinds of stuff. No, no. The way to balance that out is you've got to interact with other men. And that actually keeps you sane. So the first thing he does is he, he leaves everybody and he isolates. Look what Proverbs 18.1 says. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. It, 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 the Bible's saying, don't do that. Don't go by yourself and do this alone. You can't. And so Elijah's doing it. Crazy, huh? Continue on. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. By himself, there he is, sprawled out under a broom tree. And what's going on here? Well, and he prayed that he might die. What? Now, this is ironic. He ran from Jezebel because he's afraid she was going to kill him. But he prayed that he die, wants to die. Do you see the irony in this? Well, what, if you wanted to die, you should have stayed there and let her execute you. He doesn't really want to die. What does he want? Look what he says. He said, It is enough. Lord, now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. What is that? Well, he's saying it is enough. I'm done with ministry. I don't want do to do, be a prophet anymore. I'm done. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of the threats. I'm tired of all the angst that I have to deal with. And so it's enough. I've had it. I've had it. I'm checking out today. And Lord... Um, and, and, and since I'm done with my mission, I guess I assume you probably kill me because of that. And you'll take me home because I'm done with my mission. And, and, and he goes, and, and he, I'm no better than my father's. What he is saying is, look, um, I'm a complete failure. Our father's failed in the whole situation. I'm a failure. And why is he thinking he's a failure? He's thinking he's a failure because he thought that what he did on Mount Carmel should have ended it. So he thinks he failed. He thinks God failed. But he, does, again, goes back to the nature of evil. Evil is coming back the next day, dude. You didn't fail. That was a huge victory. But he's feeling sorry for himself. He's starting to, he's starting to become a victim. You see this? So he forgets what the Lord has done. It's affected him. And what do I mean by he forgot what the Lord did? Well, it doesn't mean that, like, he forgot that you uh, just had a battle on Mark, Mount Carmel and, and this amazing thing happened. No, no. Forgetting in Scripture has to do with something more. And this is what I want you to understand. Forgetting. You have to take truth that the Scripture teaches you, not only propositional truth, but you have to convert that to experience. You have to experience truth, okay? You actually live, have to live it out. Now, here's the thing. The key to reacting properly to junk being thrown at you is you must take propositional truth and live it out, experience it, so that it becomes ingrained in the back of your mind. That's where the memory is going to be kept. And that system, that renewing of your mind will then be the system that causes you to automatically respond properly. If you do not renew your mind with the scriptures and put the truth back into practice and ritualize it and memorialize it, then you're going to react with the old system. And here's the thing about how the brain works, that they've just figured out. When you ingrain a bad habit, in, it, goes to the back, it goes to the back of the brain and becomes like automatic, okay? So like riding a bike is an automatic, okay? You can just get on there. Why? Because it's, it's ritualized and memorialized in the back of the brain to where you don't even have to think about it, right? You just get on the bike and you start going. That system never leaves you. It's the same thing for sin, when you sin and it becomes habitualized and ritualized, it is put in the back of the brain and it stays there as a system. And you actually, it's, it, be, it actually becomes alive in your brain. And the only way to combat that is to build another system that stops that system. And this is called renewing your mind. But that system always stays there you have to build another system around it so that when something triggers you like stress or anxiety, that the old system is shut down by the new system and the new system responds. That's called renewing your mind. If you do not build new systems by renewing your mind through scripture, you will react with your default mechanism. And here's the thing you won't even have to think about it it's just will come out of you so when i'm telling you about the bubba factor that's because that's in people's brains that i see a threat and i'm going to take care of it and it's automatic you have to build another system around that so you don't respond like that that's what i mean by forgetting elijah has not ritualized what just happened on mount carmel and realize how he should respond to evil threats it's too fresh it's too new it's just happened and so so part of what your christianity is is to ritualize the practice of truth you have to live it out and the more you live it out the more it creates a system and the more you'll respond correctly if that makes sense So he thinks he failed in ministry, he's not seeing the results he wanted, and so he wants to stop serving the Lord. And let me tell you about the results in ministry. Dude, you're not gonna see them. You're just not gonna see them. Now you can play the game of wanting to see results from ministry, and this is how the game is played at the crass church level. You count the nickels and then you count the noses. And that becomes the measure of success from a worldly standpoint, right? But how do I measure someone's discipleship? How do I measure someone's growth? I, I, there's no, there's no way I can do that. How do I measure like messages being sent out in truth? How do you measure it? You can't. And what Elijah is saying is like, look, man, this ministry is too hard. I don't see any results. The fact is. The result should have been that Ahab and Jezebel would have backed off and it didn't back them off. So what's the results? What's the point of doing ministry if I can never see results? Can you operate not seeing the spiritual results of your work? Can you do that? Because like I've told you, our efforts out here in this world, you're going to give every effort, you're going to give 100%. And you know what? You're not going to get a lot back because of the way the culture is. It's just like evangelism. Dude, your evangelism, you're going to do your evangelism to your best extent. But what you're going to see is the results are going to be dismal. You're going to get onesies and twosies and those are big wins. I get it. But, but even in 20-something years, I can see the difference in my evangelism now. 20-something years, I could lead more people to the Lord 20 years ago. I can't lead that many to the Lord now. It's not because of my efforts or my ability. It has to do with their reaction to things. They're messed up. I'm not getting the same reactions anymore. You, are you okay with that? Because Elijah says, I want to stop ministry because I don't see the results I want. Now watch. Then he, as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked, and there was uh, uh, by his head was a cake of baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. So God sends an angel to minister to his physical needs because he's 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 wasted. He's tired, man. When you're tired, you're going to do stupid things. Okay, if you're not healthy, you're going to do stupid things. I, I uh, and I'm telling you about this about health. Please, for your own ministry's sake, take care of your health. Now, what do I mean by that? If you get fouled up health wise, it stops your ministry. It will stop you. And so, the first thing he does to get Elijah back on track is the Lord sends an angel to to help his physical body back up to shape and get him rested, get him fed, and, and nutrients back into his body. Look at it again. So, he ate, fell asleep, and the angel of the Lord. Now, who's the angel of the Lord? It's Jesus. So Jesus is ministering to him. Came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So Jesus actually feeds him again, ministers to him physically. Because, look, in order to deal with things properly in the spiritual realm, you're a body soul unity. So what is ever happening in your body will affect your soul. Okay? So what we try to talk about in spirituality is your body needs to be normalized, okay, to the point that you're functioning good, you're healthy, you're strong, you're doing what you need to do, and if that's okay, then you actually can maximum uh, maximize your spiritual effectiveness when you're physically healthy. So be careful about that. It's right here. He's showing you. I'm going to minister to him physically. So he arose and he ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights. That sounds familiar, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. So he leaves Beersheba, and he go, Mount Horeb is actually Mount Sinai in Arabia, in, in, in the Midian Desert. So he actually goes back to Sinai. Why would he go back to Sinai? That's weird. But he took him 40 days and 40 nights. Why is 40 days and 40 nights important? Because that represents a time of testing. Okay? It also represents Israel's wandering in the desert, right? Okay, so all of it's going back to Israel. And then there's, 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 there's a thing here that Israel needs to know and he's going to use Elijah to show Israel about this one thing. Okay, so Elijah represents Israel at this point in time. That's why the whole Mount Sinai thing's coming into play and the whole 44 days, uh, 40 nights are coming in. So what happens? He goes to the cave on the foot of Mount Sinai. This is the cave. This is Mount Sinai in Arabia. I took, I took you through Exodus to show, show you this. That's the cave of Elijah right there. And you can see the cave and the top is Mount Sinai. And there's the cave. This is what the cave looks like close up. And I think I got one more picture from the inside the cave looking down. Okay? And there he went into a cave And spent the night in that place. So he's out Mount Sinai, okay? He went all the way down into Saudi Arabia. But what's going to happen here? Something amazing is going to happen that's for you and I as well. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? No, it's not that the Lord doesn't know he's there, but this is a rhetorical question. You're my prophet, Um, the war is back in Israel, and you're coming back to the territory where Israel once was. Uh, There's no one here. There's no work to be done, Elijah. What are you doing here? You see what God's trying to say to him? Okay, keep following me. So he said, this is a response to God, I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts, For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. They? I thought it was Jezebel that sought your life. Did you see what he did? He expanded to they. Not only does Jezebel want to kill him, all of Israel wants to kill him. Really, Elijah, we are now really misperceiving reality. You see how fast he got out of reality? They all want to kill me. I'm the only one left. Everyone has forsaken you. And he's out of his mind at this point in time. He's crazy. What are you thinking, Elijah? But this is how fast, when you disengage and pull off from everything, how quick your mind will go. That's pretty scary to me. So the Lord responds, well, first of all, let's talk about this. He adopts a victimhood, a self-pity attitude. And there's an element of pride in there. If you noticed, well, I'm the only one left. I serve you zealously. Everyone forsake, forsook you. And, and so I, I'm, I'm having a pity party and I can't do this anymore. I give up. I'm done. I'm done. This is victim mentality. He went from a warrior to a victim mentality. That just like overnight. Overnight. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain. This is what God is saying before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. Sounds like like Moses, doesn't it? The Lord will pass by. Yes, it does. He's going to show Elijah a similar thing like he did Moses. Okay? And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. So there's a big tempest that comes, and it just rips apart the mountains. There's no divine message in the wind, in the storm, okay? And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, which means there's no divine message in the earthquake, okay? And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. So no divine message coming from the fire. Now, what is all this? Well, the the storm... The the earthquake, the fire all represent the manifestations of God in judgment, the manifestations of God in his power. He just had manifested that on Mount Carmel with the fire coming down. So these are the manifestations that manifested before Israel to show them that Yahweh was present with them. Yahweh, Yahweh is connected to these cosmic disturbances. Okay? But how so? Typically, when you see storm, earthquake, and fire, that is associated to Yahweh's judgment. Okay? Keep following this with me. It is not normal to see the three elements just given out randomly, okay? It is always associated to judgment. Okay, keep following. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And that's where he was. In the calm. In the silence. It's demama dak kol. It's a whisper. It's a calm. It's small voice of God is where the word was. It wasn't in the fire, it wasn't in the earthquake, it wasn't in the storm. Now what does this mean? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for Elijah? What message was Yahweh trying to tell him and tell you and I? Well, it's a couple things. So let me, let me read this and then we'll get to it. So it was when Elijah heard it, that he he heard the voice of God, that he wrapped his his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Okay, so it's reiterated again that you're in the wrong place. Okay, now let me explain this as best I can. What Elijah expected was that the manifestation of God's power that we saw on Mount Carmel, he thinks should have been enough to end everything. And what God was saying is, I don't work that way often. I did it for judgment of the prophets of Baal and what they were doing to Israel. That's why I work that way in judgment at Mount Carmel. But Elijah, what you fail to understand about me And what you fail to understand about how I work in life is that I typically don't work by disposing capriciously kings and queens like the ancient pagan heathen gods do, that just take them off the throne, judge them, and remove people at will. No, I do things differently, I do things by my word. And my word is what changes hearts. People are not changed by my judgment. The judgment is because of justice must be done. But it doesn't change anybody, Elijah. If we're going to change Israel, it is not going to be over a miraculous display in front of them. Because I did the miraculous display in front of them and they went and made a golden calf. Elijah, what you fail to understand is that I work by people having faith in me. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. That's how I work behind the scenes. That's how I work in providence. I don't work in a continual miraculous displays because miracles don't cause belief. People can see the supernatural and they won't believe it. Belief comes by my voice speaking to their hearts and it's up to them whether they will hear me or not. But that's how I work and you have me all wrong. So this is a basic rebuke to Elijah. He is saying, look, right now I'm not operating like that you got to be okay with my still, small voice working in the hearts of people. And your job is not to call down fire, Brandon, on these people. But your job is to get my word to them. That's all I'm asking you, Elijah. I'm not asking you anything else. So, Elijah, get your head back in line. Because you are not thinking straight. Then the Lord said to him, go. Return to your way to the wilderness of Damascus. You know what he just told him? Stop running away from the present and get back to work. Because I keep asking you, why are you here? Because you're not working. I need you back in Israel working. So go do your duty. And then he says, when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria... And you shall anoint Jehu, the son of uh, Nishmi, Nishki, as king over Israel. It shall be that whoever inca- uh, escapes the sword of Hazazel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Oh, so I'm not done with justice. Um, this is how I'm going to work. So what he's really saying is quit obsessing about your stupid problems and go and help other people. I need you to anoint these two guys and get them ready for what they're going to have to do. So I need you to start helping other people instead of sitting there, navel-gazing under a broom tree, wondering why you failed. That's not the right attitude, Elijah. And then lastly, in Elijah, the son of Sephat of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. What's the other marching order? Prepare the next generation instead of comparing ourselves to what the others have done in the past. Remember, he says, I'm no better than my fathers. Stop doing that and prepare Elisha because he's going to take your place. What does that mean for you and me? Do your duty. Go back to work. Go help others and prepare the next generation for the junk they're going to have to face. Now turn around and get out of here. Is what he basically said to Elijah. And this snapped Elijah back in place. He needed it. He had lost his way. Now, the point is this with us. When you start realizing that you're losing your perception of reality and your anger is getting to a fever pitch, that's the time when you need to have a come-to-Jesus meeting and hear the still, small voice, okay? You have to go back to the still, small voice because that's, what, that's how God's going to guide you. That's how he's going to direct you in this crazy, chaotic period of time. And what does that little voice tell you? What does that small voice tell you? That's him speaking directly to your heart. He's going to say the same thing. Do what I told you to do. Quit worrying about all this junk. Stay engaged and help other people manage this and you'll be fine. That's it. That's it. That's how you keep your sanity. That's how you keep everything together. And I wish more people understood this, but they don't. And I'm afraid we're gonna watch people do crazy stuff but if we can do the right thing if you and i can react well and teach others how to react well especially our younger guys our younger guys need that they don't i I, what i'm asking you older guys to do is take some of these younger guys in our church and start mentoring them help them to think straight they can't they're they didn't a lot of them don't have fathers that taught them properly how to be a man And I need you to do that for them. I need you to help them keep calm. I need you to help them keep thinking straight because they're gonna rely on you. They have no one else to look to. They can't go to their families. Their families are, are all messed up. You are the ones to help them. So I need your help in this, okay? To keep everybody's head cool, everybody's head straight. And if we can do that, we will complete the task. We will complete the mission. And not screw it up. Amen. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.